Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario. In my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. And I am The Alarmist. everyone. Thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today, we're discussing the Chinese massacre of 1871. Here's what you need to know. Chinese immigrants first arrived in gold country located in the northern portion of California around the 1840s. They came as part of the gold rush and for opportunities building railroads, though later they branched out into farming, sewing, laundry, and other fields. But from the onset, Chinese immigrants faced abuse from white miners and lawmakers. Taxes were imposed by the state legislature on Chinese and other foreign miners to keep them from digging for gold. Chinese immigrants, along with Native Americans and African Americans, were also barred from testifying in court against European Americans. After railroads were built and opportunities dried up, there was an influx of workers who made their way southward to settle in the city of Los Angeles. With around 6,000 residents, violence in the city was common. It was said to have had a higher homicide rate than New York or Chicago. But even with crime rates that high, the city only employed six police officers total. It relied mostly on vigilante justice. And as we know, those are not always the most discerning crowds. Lynching mobs were commonplace. Blacks, Latinx, and Native Californians were often mistreated and exploited by white settlers. But it was the Chinese immigrants who were the most affected. 
incendiary editorials in many Los Angeles newspapers fueled extreme hatred toward the almost 200 Chinese immigrants who had settled downtown in the city's Chinatown. Then, on October 24, 1871, a situation that was already bad took a turn for the worse. Around 4 p.m., gunfire erupted on the outskirts of L.A.'s Chinatown on what was then called Calle de los Negros, near current Alvera Street. According to an L.A. Times recount by Cecilia Rasmussen, a man named Ah Choi had been shot in the neck. Jesus Bilderain, one out of the six cops in L.A., happened to be having a drink at a nearby saloon and went out to investigate. According to his testimony, he saw a couple of Chinese men running from the scene. Just then, he was shot in the shoulder and wrist by an unseen gunman. He blew his whistle, which alerted Robert Thompson, a popular white saloon owner who rushed outside. He too was shot by an unseen gunman, though fatally, right through the heart. It was later discovered that Robert Thompson had been caught in the crossfire between two feuding Tongs, Chinese immigrant clubs, who were fighting over a young woman. She was the wife of one of the Tong leaders and had been kidnapped, then married off to a rival leader. A rumor spread throughout the city that the Chinese were starting a race war. By nightfall, more than 500 white and Latinx rioters showed up to Chinatown, ready to fight. The rioters climbed on rooftops, made holes, and shot at victims hiding inside. They ran through the community, stabbing and rounding up any Chinese men they could find. What occurred next was one of U.S. history's largest mass lynchings. The victims were dragged, their necks tied to ropes, and hanged from awnings, covered wagons, or any crossbeams that they could find throughout several downtown sites. In the end, 19 Chinese men and boys died in the attack, including a prominent Chinese doctor, Chi Ling Tong, and a 14-year-old boy. Most were lynched, though a few died from gunshot wounds. Rioters also looted Chinese immigrant homes and establishments. An estimated 40,000 of cash, gold, and jewels was stolen and later paraded through the streets. The next day, a local newspaper reported that the riot had been a, quote, victory of the patriots over the heathens. Only eight of the rioters were convicted of manslaughter, though their convictions were later overturned due to a technicality. No one was ever punished. The massacre was largely forgotten for generations until recently, thanks to Chinese activists who have revived its history. Sadly, the recent surge in anti-Asian hate crimes during the COVID-19 pandemic and the mass shooting in Atlanta at multiple Asian spas are a reminder that racist hate and violence toward the Chinese-American population are still a very real issue in our country. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. 19 people died. Of those 19, only one was believed to have participated in the shootout. In the end, 10% of the Chinese population in Los Angeles had been killed. One of the victims, Dr. Tong, pleaded with his captors for his life. He offered them all of his wealth, around $3,000. But despite his efforts, he was hanged. His money was stolen, and one of his fingers was cut off in order to obtain a diamond ring he wore. During the grand jury hearings, 
police and city officials shielded the guilty for fear of being labeled, quote, Chinese lovers. Most said they didn't recognize any of the perpetrators. Because Chinese immigrants were barred from being witnesses in court, there technically were no witnesses to the massacre. According to the LA Times, still, 37 rioters were indicted, 15 tried, and 8 convicted of manslaughter. A little more than a year later, however, the California Supreme Court reversed the convictions on the grounds that the original indictment had failed to establish that the Chinese physician had been murdered. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Alarmy. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hello, everyone. And our very special guest today is Margaret Cho. Hi, Margaret. Hi. Hi. <laughs> thank you. Hi. Um, Margaret, as you all know, is the host of The Margaret Cho, which is part of the Erios Network. And the second season is out right now. It is an absolute must listen. She has actually a very great episode on uh, this the, the Chinese massacre with guest Helen Hong. So please listen to it. Um, Margaret, what can our listeners expect from your second season? Well, it's really going deep into all of these different incidents where, um, you know, there's it's Asian American hate crimes. Also, like the modern instance of them and the historical reference of them. So it, it's, it's actually really incredible how much history there is around Asian American hate crimes. And um, there's some also Asian American crime stories that haven't really had a lot of exposure. So it's a really intense journey, but I feel like this is a really good thing to be doing. Absolutely. I I agree. I mean, just listening to your episode with Helen was so insightful and so important. I think everyone should should really check in. Now, we'd like to start off the show by kind of asking our guests, what is something that is alarming you recently? <laughs> what is something that's keeping you up at night? Well, um, this happened, I think, in the early part of May, uh, no, early part of April, where a Thai chef was walking in New York City with her cat and her dog, and um, they were, her, she and her partner were attacked, and they killed the cat. Oh! <gasps> And it was a hate crime. It's on video. Oh, I think no. they have one of the people. But she was attacked by a family. And I remember I was assaulted by a whole family once when I was in Cannes <gasps> in France. This is about 10 years ago. Oh, my God. And it was really scary. And it was like a mom and a dad and the daughter and the son. <gasps> and it was just like... It really kept me up, but hearing about this attack and the fact that the cat, what happened was a little, the little boy in the family grabbed the cat and threw it in the air. So of course the woman was like, the chef was like, no, don't do that. And she grabbed the cat back and then uh, was yelling at the boy, like, don't, don't throw cats, like saying like, don't do that. And then the mom came up and then just started punching this woman and then eight of the family members just started beating them up. They killed the cat. Oh my! They broke her partner's nose, and it's a hate crime. I mean, it is a hate crime. It was like so upsetting, and um, the cat was like Instagram famous. It had like several hundred thousand, like 
23,000 followers, maybe more, but it, it was Ponzu was the name of right. the cat. Oh. It's crazy, but the cat died. I mean, it's just so horrible. And the police were trying to tell the chef, the Thai chef, that she shouldn't press charges, but she should. But they could, they didn't cite the people. They didn't arrest them, and they all got away. And so now there's this social media push to try to get them. So there's, I think one was discovered. One, one person was found. The videos have gone viral. But it's just another example of another hate crime where an Asian woman is, in a, woman is attacked, police don't believe her, don't believe that it's a hate crime, thinks it's her fault somehow. And people are not being, you know, not even getting a ticket. You should get a ticket or something for that. I don't know. I, I mean, to kill an animal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these, I mean, as, as you've been talking about and, you know, we have all been reading in the news, it's just there's been this surge of all of this anti-Asian hate at the moment. And honestly, a, a big reason why we need to continue to talk about these things that are currently happening and also these historical, you know, tragedies that have happened. And not a lot of people know about this. Not a lot of people yeah. know about the Chinese massacre. But we don't know so much of our history, American history. We're just so unaware of so many things. Yeah. And, and it's it's happening in our city. Like we all live in LA and uh, mm -hmm. and I've walked in the area and I don't see a plaque. I don't see a, I don't see anything, you know? Yes. <laughs> there, there it's very strange. Yeah. It's so weird. It's so weird. And, and honestly, it's very disturbing to me mm -hmm. to know that that kind of history has happened and we're just ignoring it. I mean, that is actually the perfect segue <laughs> into putting, starting to put people up on the board off the bat. Let's just get it. <laughs> You know, let's start talking about it. Let's dive in. White supremacy, mm -hmm. hegemony. I, I'm saying that wrong. Hegemony? Hegemony. Yeah, I think that's okay. hegemony. Hegemony. And uh, xenophobia. According to an LA Times article, in the postbellum South, paramilitary groups attacked black people and their white ally allies. In the West, they attacked Chinese immigrants. California newspapers from the late 1860s contain numerous reports of assaults committed by self-identified members of the Ku Klux Klan. Vigilantes bludgeoned Chinese ranch workers, threatened their white employers, and even set fire to churches catering to Asian communities in San Jose. Curiously, scholars of the KKK have largely overlooked this period in California history. Perhaps that's because the early Klan is so closely associated with anti-Black brutality in the South. Therefore, contemporaneous attacks on Asians in the West aren't seen for what they were, a part of a national wave of violence against people of color. Although Western Klansmen were far fewer than the number in the Southern counterparts, they achieved a similar result, the violent assertion of white hegemony. The massacre was a black mark for, the Los for Los Angeles and city leaders responded by building up the police department and criminal justice system. Vigilante rule began to fade, but the racism endured by Chinese and other minority groups actually worsened. Now, we should state that this particular tragedy was actually done not just by white people. There was also a, a large Latino community that was living in the... Uh, in Los Angeles at the time, uh, and they were also part of the group of the mob. 
I think there's also, we might want to throw vigilante justice up on the board. Well, Los Angeles was not, um, there wasn't show business yet. So LA was kind of like, if you, you would come to LA if you didn't have any place to go. And so it drew in a lot of people who, you know, were immigrants too. People that were, uh, well, I wouldn't consider like the Latinx community here. They were already here, you know, because California was Mexico. So I, but I, I mean, I think what I, what it is uh, is is like the people that were really part of the vigilante groups were the Irish, were Scandinavians, were people who were othered by pe- uh, people who had been here for a generation or two. So I guess that would be Italians, anybody who was considered like new foreigner, mm-hmm. were trying to sort of place their ownership in America. I think through vigilanteism because it was a way to sort of assert your Americanness. Mm. And I'm sure for the Latinx population, it must have been incredibly frustrating in the same way that it's frustrating for the indigenous native people yes. here. It's their country. I mean, California is Mexico, was Mexico. It's it's like all of these people who were sort of shoved out, whether from Europe or here. So I'm not even sure who was considered white then. And, and you talked about this a little bit in your episode with Helen. And I think it's really Im- important to discuss, which is that for some reason, people who have experienced racism, you know, races, other races who have experienced racism, you know, and I see this in the Latinx community there's racism between us because it's this, I don't, perhaps it is white supremacy that's like built in to us. And, and it's like, we're fighting against each other. And we're like finding other people that we're trying to feel like we're better than. It is like the weird thing of like, what I noticed in the Latinx community is that there's almost like this ownership, like the more that you sort of side with white privilege, there's a Cuban stereotype of them being like at the border, making sure that people from Mexico don't come in. Like it's a very strange alignment to white supremacy where you kind of think if we all were like banding together instead of separating each other, then, you know, but you see that also like within like Asian communities too, where East Asians look down on other, other parts of Asia, whether it's South Asia or whatever. And you see that especially between the Korean and the Japanese who are, you know, very East Asian. And it's such a confusing thing. It's like, why are we separating? I know. I'm Cuban Puerto Rican. And even, you you know, I think people outside really don't really see the difference. And but within us, like my one of my grandparents was like, I'm not going to the wedding, you know, for my parents. It's like, (laughs) There, there's so much pinning. Uh, uh, we're pinning ourselves against each other, and uh, without, if we just like realized, it's like okay, well, let's just all get along, try to put our differences aside, and 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 really fight for this cause of like equality. Then all of a sudden, we'd be a massive group. It's so true. Now, I find I found a, an article from 1876. This was five years after the the massacre. It was in the Los Angeles Herald, and it said the Anti Cooley Club met Tuesday and adopted the following constitution and bylaws, which the club desires to make public. 
Its object shall be to protect the white people residing in America from Chinese labor in any form, to discourage and stop any further Chinese immigration, and to urge the withdrawal of the Chinese from the country using only lawful means to attain these objects. Each member of the club shall pledge himself not to employ Chinese labor, not to purchase any goods, wares, or merchandise from any person who employs Chinese, and not in any manner to sustain, foster, or encourage either the Chinese themselves or those who employ them, except when necessarily compelled to do so. Measures shall be taken by the club to ascertain the names of those persons in the city who employ Chinese. When any person has been so announced by this club as a supporter of the Chinese labor, no member shall hereafter purchase any article or commodities for such person or bestow patronage upon such a person in any form, whatever, except when necessary to do so. Imagine this on the, in the newspaper. Yeah, but they're going to say this about us putting migrant children in cages. You know, it's right. like at least they're like upfront about it. The way that we corral people at the border and take children away from parents, the, the, the inhumane manner that we treat people who are trying to come to this country today, mm-hmm. you know, in, it's, in a lot of ways, it's worse because it's not openly discussed mm-hmm. and in not openly like people complain about it, but there's so many things to be upset about. Mm-hmm. We hide all of the ugly things that... <sighs> America does. It's interesting too. I see a pattern in hearing Margaret talk about all of these Asian historical events that have happened where there's a real fear that Asian people are taking jobs away. Yes. Like that was the, um, I think that was in, in this one that was present. And then Margaret just had an episode on the uh, Wyoming massacre that was like the uh, coal miners was the same sort of idea. And even up to more recent ones involving, I think was it Vincent Chin, Margaret? Who Vincent was the, Chin and the the auto industry. Yeah, and that in all came 80s. from these two, like these guys who were just like, you're taking our jobs. I um, mean, yeah. this this fear. And I don't know, Rebecca, if you want to put something like that up on yeah. the board. I was going to call it like non-Asian people's fear of being replaced. Totally. You know, I, I think that that's really important, especially for this tragedy that we put up on the board, the fear that they were going to be replaced. And, and that's what's fueling all of this press, too, which I think we should mm-hmm. also put up on the board, which was mm. this racist press of, of the time. And this is another LA Times article. The city's first daily newspaper, the Los Angeles News, routinely thundered against the relatively small Chinese population in the region. Remember, it's like 200 people. Why are they obsessed, you know? Uh, mm. The editors portrayed Chinese residents as an al- quote, an alien, an inferior, an idolatrous race who left a foul blot upon our civilization. I mean, uh, if the Trump era has taught us anything, it's the language, it's that language has consequences and that violent words and that violent words often provoke violent actions. So they did. So they did in Los Angeles all those years ago. Decades of racist rhetoric had convinced many Angelinos that their Chinese neighbors were less deserving of life. Yeah, I thought that was well explained it is it's very well explained it's a dehumanization of the other Mm -hmm. and it's like um, a lot of different ways you get there whether it's fear painting them as like stealing from us stealing what we have replacing us 
and a bad element because they were different. The Los Angeles of the 1800s was a really like wild west and it was lots of crime, lots of gambling, lots of stuff that was like kind of unsavory. And the Chinese population participated in that, but they didn't drink. So nobody trusted them. Chinese people were into gambling, but they weren't into alcohol because oh. we just we just don't have a culture that they smoked opium. But that was sort of like this weird, mysterious thing. And that was the fear of like, they don't drink, but they gamble and they smoke this weird thing. And like, what's they, well, they're not like us. So they had lots of ways to like dehumanize them because they weren't doing the same things. That's such an interesting point because the so, the saloon was like the the place. That's where every, mm-hmm. you know, business got done, government, you know, you talk, that's where ev- politics got figured out. And if they weren't part of that, hmm. or they weren't You they, weren't drinking with them. Yeah. You you weren't up at the bar with them. There was something right. mysterious about it. There's also mm-hmm. a thing of perhaps nationalism we can put up on the board or some sort of national identity. I think Americans tend to, and this includes uh, immigrants and sort of stuff you guys were talking about before, which is like certain people just feel like there's a need to sort of like manifest this nationalism of whatever that means. It's Mm -hmm. like, what does it mean to be an American citizen? And I think drinking kind of fits into that sort of like idyllic kind of notion of I mean drinking was definitely a problem in American the 1800s citizen. in America. It was like, you know, from from we learned in the prohibition episode where it's like, you know, they they drank like uh you you drank like barrels or whatever a year, you know, oh, yeah, the average, they, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Back. person. I'll put nationalism up on the board. Yeah, is there anything of like America's like early obsession with alcohol or something you want to put on <laughs> drinking? Yeah, John Barleycorn. It's like a really, um, but it's a very kind of American thing to like want to drink. And like, it it was also mostly men, too, because it was like such a frontier town. So it was like a lot of guys (laughs) who are getting drunk. And then those people are not getting drunk with us. What's wrong with them? Let's kill them. Oh, I'll put, how about saloon culture? Saloon culture, yeah. Yeah, saloon (laughs) culture. We also should put up white labor unions on the board. Um, this is according to KCET.org. The, de- the decline in gold production, the completion of the Central Pacific Railroad, and an extended drought that caused a sharp drop in farm production brought large numbers of unemployed white laborers into California towns from Sacramento to San Diego. Thus, within a climate of ex- exploitative labor and corporate monopoly by railroad barons, white labor unions misdirected their dissatisfaction to the Chinese, who they believed were lowering the wages and living standards of white workers. Combined with that inflammatory anti-Chinese writings of the San Francisco press that local journalists sought to emulate, Los Angeles was rife with anti-Chinese fervor. Yeah, well, in China, um, class and caste is so fit that a lot of people came to America because they knew that they could make more money than they could ever make in China and send it home. And so there was uh, an acceptance of lower wages because to them it was a lot of money. I mean, it's any kind of like immigrant thing when you're leaving an impoverished situation and you're coming, you're going to do whatever you can to get ahead. And, And that's definitely like every immigrant story. Um, Certainly in that century and now, until now, you know. And so it's not that they're they're stealing our jobs. It's just that we'll do this because it's better than from where we came from. But 
to uh, the workers who are already here, it's like this automatic betrayal. They're stealing our jobs because they'll work for less. And then they have... But the the real villains are the corporations in charge. Yes. Who are not paying fairly, who are turning these communities against one another in a very brute and kind of very impersonal way. Let's put the railroad companies up on the board. Absolutely. Yeah. They have they have a lot they have a lot to answer for. I mean, these companies, you know, were rife with corruption and also just very unthinking, unfeeling towards the people that they were having work for them. You know, and the the c- conditions in like coal mines and on the railroad, they were really inhumane. I mean, it's a terrible thing to have to do to blast through the Sierra Nevada to like build a railroad. It's yeah. actually a really terrifying job. Something like 20,000 Chinese died because they would do the jobs that no white person would do. They would do all the explosive stuff. They would like blast through the mountain because they just they didn't have a choice. And instead of thanking them, they they just went the opposite. Well, in the big, there's a very famous photograph where the the rail lines from like the east and the west finally connected. One of the trains has like a guy holding champagne and the other guy's holding champagne flutes and they meet in the middle and there's no Chinese people in the photograph. And it was because they just wanted to erase the fact that Chinese labor built the railroad. Oh, erasure. I mean, this is what we're it's seeing it everywhere. So I've read a lot of different things about like what started this feud that started the, um, the, the gunfight that happened. Some people say that it was these two Chinese factions that were, were, were fighting and they say it was like because of commerce. Now, you you talked about this also in your episode, and, and what was this feud actually about? The, well, the feud was a long-simmering kind of rivalry between these kinds of, like, different sort of, cr- not crime families. It's not as, like, sophisticated as organized crime, but it was just people who were, like, bringing over old battles from their villages in China and kind of siding here with different houses of, like, people who had money, different merchants. And so they had these guys who were, like, high binders. They called them high binders, who were very good at fighting, very good at shooting, who you could hire from San Francisco's Chinatown. And these were, like, Chinese men who were just... They were, like, hitmen, what we consider hitmen. And so one of them sort of came to L.A., and stole the beautiful wife of one of the wealthy houses. And he didn't steal her. I guess they ran away together. Oh. But who knows? Yeah. But supposedly over this woman. And so these two houses were fighting over this high binder stealing, a high binder who was loyal to one house, stealing the wife of another house's merchant, head merchant. So it was a, it was kind of a love love battle interesting and over this woman and they got into uh many skirmishes this is over that entire month of october but at the last one they ended up killing a bystander who had gotten involved it wasn't exactly an innocent bystander he was trying to figure out what was going on and he was a very well-loved pub owner there you go Um, saloon culture Mm. saloon culture not looking good (laughs) he was shot but he was trying to get in the fight. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this kind of goes right into poor policing, which I also think we need to put up on yes. the board. 
Um, well, that's is, why there were so many vigilantes because there was right. such poor policing. The, the the city was like kind of run on gambling and drinking, and there was just a lot of crime happening that the police couldn't keep up with. There were very few police officers. Six. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh so to really six to like that, wow. deal with a frontier town that everybody's drinking and gambling, and they're all you know kind of coming down from the prospecting and not making any money and they're frustrated. And so it's just, it, they couldn't get a, the, the police couldn't get a handle on all the yeah. things that were going on. I read that there's six police officers in the city and not all of them were on duty that day. <laughs> so yeah. that already brings it down. Um, and then they, they did manage to get there, but instead of, following, you know, uh, of trying to control the crowd that was already forming, they decided to put their energy towards finding the gunman who killed the white saloon owner. Mm, of course. Yeah. Of course. And and then, of course, things got out of hand. By nightfall, it was out of control. There was no... And that was one of the biggest mistakes that the police made that day. And I think we need to put up on the board white justice over other justice because why why was that the priority well it was it and um it, it was like that the lynching had already began in revenge for the death of the white man before the white man even died like the first lynching happened in like the late afternoon and the bar owner didn't die until early evening so wow. you had this like rumor of Chinese are killing white people run all the way through the city before it had even happened. You know, people just wanted to, like, find a reason. It didn't matter what the reason was. Nobody cared to really even find out whether it was true. It didn't matter. They were just looking for a reason. Well, let's talk about our listener uh, recommendation, which is coming from Josette Chiara, at Josette Chiara, and... They say white business owners should be put up on the board. They refused to give fair wages, which led to mass Chinese immigration, most of which these owners went and recruited in China to work these dangerous, low-paying jobs. And these business owners did nothing to provide protection to the Chinese workers from racism, discrimination, and hate crimes. Basically, they just wanted to pay shitty wages and not care about people. Which is, uh, right. we, were, we were talking about that, so... Um, that was our listener recommendation. Um, and I think that, I I mean, we're kind of like circling in. I feel like we have a lot of good stuff on the board. The other thing I was thinking we could put up was the local Los Angeles government. Oh, because even though the violence, uh, that had characterized the area, you know, later on, you know, later on it declines, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But you could tell that they were somehow connected to, in in trying to cover up what had happened. And and not just that, but they were extremely negligent of the the Chinese neighborhood. They, They, I was reading that Chinatown was the last community to be connected with the city's sewer system in the early 20th century. Wow. So yeah. That says and there a was lot just to like, me. It was just disgusting. Like, it was like dead animals everywhere. Like, the streets, they, they weren't, nothing was paved. So you were like just walking in like deep mud. I, I mean, 
all, of course, everything was disgusting right. back then. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> in particular, like Chinatown, you were, you know, these were the places that would rent to Chinese tenants. They were like the lowest uh, of the low, like just in terms of san- sanitation, hygiene, anything. It was just awful. I, I don't know what the saying is, but it's like where there's, there's a smell, there's a bad bad uh, dead body or something (laughs) i think i think it's where there's smoke there's fire oh (laughs) is that what you're trying to think of that'll work chris you better look it up look at what rebecca was saying i start with where there's a smell there's usually a dead body and same thing same thing but (laughs) um, i'm just saying like trace the corruption is what i'm saying you know yeah of course trying to do the cover-up um so we're coming up on time rebecca is that everything you wanted to put on the board and chris margaret do you have any other anything else to uh throw up real quick I think it's just mob mentality, which is probably part of vigilanteism. Yeah. Orientalism is the word that I uh, remember reading about. Uh, Edward Said wrote this book. I read it in college, so I I have a bit of a tenuous memory of it. But it's basically Western culture's sort of other other... Ification of uh, of the East or the Far East mm-hmm. or the Orient, as they used to call it, it was referred to the Orient in like from the seventeenth century and beyond, and it's basically tied into the West and sort of imperial powers and and just sort of otherifying. I thought I Maybe think it's imperialism. It, it, it's basically it's basically like there's this fixed idea or image of. Um, the Orient at large. Yeah, I'm seeing here that it's kind of like the exaggeration of the differences between the East and the West, Basically. which you know happens in media all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it dates back. It goes way, way back. It's in literature. It's in art, and it just I, I think um, is would be it's a worthwhile. Yeah, that's like a bigger looking at it from a bigger. Yeah, scope. it's sort of like yeah. a, from an academic. Uh huh. So. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, once we come back, we're going to start knocking things off the list. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay. It is Chris. Who's to blame for the Chinese massacre of 1871? White supremacy. Xenophobia. Hegemony. Vigilante justice. Fear of being replaced. Racist press. Nationalism. Saloon culture. White labor unions. The railroad companies. Poor policing. White justice over real justice, white business owners, local Los Angeles government, mob mentality, or Orientalism. I don't feel like we can knock anything off this list. <laughs> <laughs> we usually have well, you, like one silly one. <laughs> you can you could actually like combine white supremacy with xenophobia yeah. and racist press. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. Yeah, fear of being replaced, nationalism. Um, white labor unions, yep. white justice over real justice, all of that goes under the blanket of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so do you guys, what word do you like best? Because to me, for some reason, xenophobia seems good because it's so fear-based for this. Yeah. Yeah. So, ma- yeah. so maybe we wrap like white supremacy, hegemony, however you say it, and nationalism <laughs> into xenophobia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And maybe even Orientalism, which is a really interesting concept, could be wrapped into xenophobia. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. Like Margaret was saying, I think that we can wrap the white labor unions into the fear of being replaced. Mm. Yeah. And we can also wrap the white business owners under the railroad companies. I think. Yeah. I think they're the ones who started that terrible trend. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. I also think that we can put, uh, I kind of want to keep white justice over real justice, um, Mm -hmm. and, and just put poor, you know, kind of wrap poor policing into that. Yeah. Cause I like those six police officers, even if they had been trying to stop the mob, I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if they would have been able to. Yeah. You could also combine mob mentality and vigilante justice. Yes. Because that's the same thing. I'll wrap mob mentality into vigilante justice just because vigilante is a little bit more of this particular tragedy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The local government. No, I, I, let's let that stand on its own. Mm-hmm. So we've got the racist press. What are we going to do here? Somehow the racist press goes into fear of being replaced, right? Because that was the main reason. Yeah, because the racist press, they lit the match, but the gasoline was already there. Mm, It's like, it reminds me so much of Tulsa, where it was like an isolated event happened, and then all this misinformation just got out of control, but it almost didn't matter because people were just ready to pounce. Yeah. Right. It's very similar to Tulsa in a lot of ways. 
Okay, so we have xenophobia, vigilante justice, fear of being replaced, saloon culture, the railroad companies, white justice over real justice, and local Los Angeles government. I guess at this point, we can take saloon culture out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. Oh, but I do like that idea. And I do think that it really contributed to... It did. To, to, to all that, like, anti-Asian... Well, one of, the, one of the things is a similar event happened in Rock Springs, Wyoming, which we covered in my podcast, where there was another Chinese massacre. But it what they did is they closed all the saloons that day at 5 p.m. because they knew that it was going to be bad. And so the, the bar owners just closed early oh. because they were so afraid of adding alcohol to the mix of the insanity. So mm. that's like one of the things that I, I – I don't think we actually mentioned it in the episode, but I remember reading that and being like, oh, my God, that must have been really crazy. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine you know something's going to go down when the saloons close? That's yeah, creepy. it's so bad. It's so creepy. <laughs> I mean, it's it, yeah, it's kind of like curfew. It's like, you yeah, know, when, when yeah, totally. we all went under curfew. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we can take that off for now. Um, well, there's sort of white justice over real justice and vigilante justice. One could be folded into the other. Well, one comes from the police and the other comes from like mob, the mob mentality. I think I'm trying to think like what's what's what attributed to what happened more at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more vigilante justice. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. So we can take that other. I mean, especially because we don't we don't know what white people were back then. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We don't know. We have no idea. We're just not sure. Because at that time, right, it was like even like the Germans and the Irish and the Italians were like second class citizens. Yeah, Yeah, they weren't considered white. And it's like, well, that's so weird, you know, to think about that. But they weren't considered white. Um, Okay, so we have five left. I I still think I think the, the, the local Los Angeles government was more to blame than the railroad companies. If we're going to mm-hmm. get down to it. And mm-hmm. because I think that that folds into the fear of being replaced. Now, I know that the, mm-hmm. the railroad companies contributed to that kind of mentality. Yeah. But I do think that it was wi- within the people, the workers, it was already growing. Don't you think? Or, or, or should we be blaming the railroad companies? Well, I think it's more that kind of comes down to government because it, it, it's like you're if you're in government, you're going to want to provide more opportunities for everyone to be happy and live here. If we're going to actually have a city, we're going to have to have like, you know, these ways for people to make money and survive and feel good about it and not blaming others for what they don't have. So I feel like that's like a government issue. I think you're right. So if we take off fear of being replaced, we've got xenophobia, vigilante justice, and local Los Angeles government. Who's going to be to blame? And who are we going to slap? I mean, it feels obvious, right? The xenophobia? Yeah. <laughs> because that's everything. I mean, it's like the a fear of the other in a country that is all others. Right. right. Mm, which is just like, yeah, you're just asking for trouble. It's like, yeah. go look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were no mirrors at that time in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were so dirty. Sure, the sure. saloon. Can you imagine the so saloon? So dirty. Bathroom? Dirty. Oh, Ew. greasy mirror. There's nothing worse. We <laughs> got to get that up on the board. Get me out of LA. <laughs> you know what freaks me out? 
a spittoon. Oh, what is what that? Is that? How do you do with that again? It's like for people who are chewing tobacco and you mm. spit into it. Ew. <laughs> you know, it would it's be even so freaky to me. What would be even worse is the no a uh, no spittoon with all that. No spittoon. <laughs> That's Ew. true. It's like when there's <laughs> peanut sh- peanut shells on the floor at a bar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so but horrible. It's just yuck. Okay. So then, what are we going to slap? I kind of want to slap the the Los Angeles uh, local LA government yeah. for creating this atmosphere and yeah. allow because they're the ones who didn't have the right police. The the they they're in charge of the police. And they didn't do about this vigilant. They didn't do anything about this vigilante justice that was a problem yeah. already. And they knew it was coming. It's like they, everybody knew it was coming. Everybody knew this was just this is going to happen. But they just let it happen. So I think it is L.A. government. Okay. Mm. So I'm going to call it L.A. local government. You're getting the big slap. Xenophobia. You're going to the alarmist jail. I'm kind of glad we didn't send the L.A. government to the alarmist jail, because what would we do now? <laughs> We'd have to start all <laughs> We'd over. We'd have to go to, back to law- lawlessness and six cops and yeah. stuff. <laughs> Which we Maybe might- the four of us could kind of figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. We might oh, do a seriously. better job. Oh, Rebecca, you would definitely do a better job. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Margaret, thank you so, so much for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for the Chinese massacre of 1871. Thank you. After the Chinese massacre of 1871, 150 years later, justice still eludes the 19 victims of the Los Angeles Chinese massacre. The only public acknowledgement of the atrocity is a modest plaque embedded in the pavement in Los Angeles Street. According to the California Historical Society, the site of the massacre was finally excised from public memory when Chinatown was leveled following voter approval in 1926 of a new railway hub. By the time Union Station was completed in 1939, Chinese residents had moved to other parts of the city. With tourism in mind, Chinese business leaders opened New Chinatown, a stylized movie set-like series of blocks a few miles to the north near what was the Sonora Town and Little Italy. Vote for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the alarmist podcast at gmail.com tune in next week we'll be discussing the ramstein air show disaster Bye, Acast.